0: John chapter 1, 3rd John chapter 1, and we'll, we'll be there for just a moment. 3rd John chapter 1, starting in verse number 2. In fact, we'll only be reading verse number 2. It says this, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. How many know that you can be healthy on the outside? You can look fit. You can look healthy. Everything can seem well and good, but you can be unhealthy on the inside. Today, I want to talk about being well with your soul. Is your soul well? Proverbs 18 tells us that a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? It's important to recognize that it doesn't matter what is going on in your life. It doesn't matter what is taking place. It doesn't matter what report you may have heard, the circumstances that's going on today, the thing that you are going home to. If you have a healthy soul, if internally you are well, you will overcome. But if, it, if your inside is crushed, if it's burdened, if it's inundated, who can bear and what can bear? And so today I want to talk about being well with your soul and I believe that being well with your soul we need to have a quiet and calm soul. And so today we're going to look at scripture it's Psalm chapter 131 and you can turn there if your Bible it's Psalm 131 it's a psalm that David wrote and we're going to look here about how our souls can be well if we calm and quiet our soul. It says this, "O Lord, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this day. We thank you as we celebrate and recognize Memorial Day and for all those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. And God, we thank you for what you have done, how you have laid down your life for each and every single one of us here today. God, we ask that you would move in this room. God, that you would speak to us, open our eyes and our ears to what we would, uh, you would have us see and hear today. Be with us, God. I ask that, Lord, you would use me, for without you, God, I am nothing. And we give you all the glory and honor and praise in Jesus' my name. And everyone said, amen and amen. How many of you know someone that is loud? Yeah, anyone here know someone's loud? And I don't just mean they can get loud. I mean, there's people who can get loud. They can change the, the audible level of their voice. I mean, someone who's just always loud loud. You know what I'm talking about? There are just some people who are just always loud. It doesn't matter where you're at. They're just loud and you can hear them. I remember there are people and I'd be walking around and like you just can, you say, oh, there's that person. And like, how do you know? Well, I can hear them. And they go, where are they at? And you look down the road and they're like half a mile down. Oh, but see, I can hear them clear as day. We know those kind of people. In fact, they're so loud that when they whisper, they're not whispering. They're just like breathy. It's like, hey, how's it going? It's just like, You're not whispering, all right? You're you're still at the same level. You guys know what I'm talking about? There's just some loud people. I have a friend, and uh, they were a loud individual, but uh, love them dearly. And I made the mistake of going to the movies once with them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to the movies, I like to sit and enjoy... The movie. There's a reason why they turn the lights off. There's a reason why they give you snacks and drinks. so that way, if you want to talk, you just stick some popcorn in your mouth and let everyone else enjoy the movie. But I made the mistake of going to the movie with this one individual, one of my friends. And we're dear friends, so uh, no ill will towards them. But we're at the movies, and the first mistake I made was going to the movies with them. The second mistake was going to the movies with them to a movie they had already seen. And, it, and, and you, you already know where I'm going with this. And if that's you, you need to stop it. You need to stop it. So we go to the movies, and we're sitting there. The previews come on, and the previews go off, and then the opening scene comes on. And I should have known then, what was I, I to expect for the next two hours, was the, they were just like, oh, you can't you can't miss this scene in five minutes. You know what happens is, is this takes place, and that goes on, and, and it's just a complete shocker. And I'm just like, Dude, really? Really? You gonna be like that? And through the whole movie, he constantly is telling me everything that's gonna take place, and he's giving me his own opinions on what he thinks happened and what should have happened and how the director should have done this and that. And it was just this entire time. And you know what's bad though was that it would have been like like okay, like you ruined the movie for me. But it's cause he was he was like whispering though, like, hey dude, check this scene out. You'll never, it's a spoil. it's like the, this is like the craziest point ever, like, it'll throw you off guard, but everyone else in the movie could hear it, in fact, the person who was running the projector probably heard them, and should have just turned off the movie and said, hey guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And so I could, it was just so awkward because here I am trying to watch the movie and realizing that my friend is ruining the movie, not just for me, but everyone else around us. Like everyone is starting to get annoyed. You can start hearing people like, come on, dude, just be quiet, watch the movie, you know. They're just really upset, and I don't blame them. And so finally, this, this has only happened once in my life, and uh, this is why I will never go to the movies with this individual again. Near the end of the movie, I don't know why they waited till the end, but finally someone went and complained I don't know why they wait till the end. I mean, it was just like, by that point, it was over. But uh, one of the movie, one of the staff people came over and said, excuse me, uh, gentlemen, um, we, we need you to leave. You're being too loud. You're being too disruptive. You are ruining the atmosphere of this movie. You are, you are being too loud. It's being, uh, it's being obnoxious now, and we're going to have to ask you to leave. And uh, we, we got asked to leave, and that was the last time I ever went to the movies with my friend. I think that life is loud. I think that life can get distracted. I think that life gets busy. It's hurried. It's so fast-paced. You know, we wake up, and you got to hurry to get out of bed. you got to hurry and get a shower, hurry and brush your teeth. you got to rush to eat your breakfast. you got to rush to get the kids ready. you got to rush to get to work or to get to school. you got to rush to get to that meeting or to that class or that person that you're supposed to get coffee with. We're constantly moving. And then without all that, just on top of that, though, you get this report here or this news here or something happened over here and you have to take care of this and that. And before you know it, we're just inundated with life. Life gets busy. Life gets hurried. It's so fast paced. In fact, even when we take a vacation, we move too fast. A lot of times you say, oh, man, life is just so busy, and, and I'm guilty of this just as much as anyone else here. But I'll say, oh, man, it's just, you know, I'm tired. You know, I, I need a good vacation. And then finally I go away on vacation, and I run myself down while I'm on vacation. So that way when I come back, and how many of you have ever said this before, I just need a vacation from my vacation. You know what I'm talking about? We have this propensity to move at a pace faster than we should. And I believe in all this busyness, And all this rush and hurriedness, if we don't take time to take care of our soul, we're not going to make it. We can't allow ourselves to get distracted by the busyness of life, by the hurried and the fast pace of life that we neglect to take care of our soul. Because it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. It doesn't matter of all the distractions and all the circumstances and all the situations. If your soul is not well, you're not going to make it. We can have everything in life. We can have all the power, all the wealth, all the financial security. Everything can be dandy and fine. It could be the sun shining, blue skies out, rainbows in the sky. But if our soul is not well, we're not going to make it in this life. And so here David is writing in Psalm 131, and I have to assume that King David probably lives a pretty busy life. I'm going to have to probably think that he's a king after all. He's got lots of responsibilities. He's got to be a busy guy. He's got to take care of a whole kingdom. He is king after all. And he writes this psalm, and it, actually Psalm 131, it's one of 15 psalms that we, are, we know as a song of ascent. And so what this means is that in, in the Jewish people, they would be in their caravans, and on their way up to Jerusalem, in their caravans, they would sing these 15 songs of ascent on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the annual feast. And they would sing these songs, and they would repeat them, and declare them, and trust in them. All the way, the entire journey, if you, it, to, to help you understand, it was like their playlist. You know, you go on a long journey, you got to set that playlist. I, I got that playlist, or I got this song, and then when I get you know, tired in the middle of the night, I got to have an upbeat song, and then I got to have some quieter songs. This was their playlist. But it wasn't just songs they would listen to, these were songs that they would declare. So in Psalm 131 that we just read, it starts off, it says this David writes, He says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. David starts by acknowledging his position. He starts off this psalm by saying very simply, I am not God. Hmm. He says, I don't think I'm God. You know, I'm probably certain that people thought he was God. People treated him like a God or as God. He was king after all. And he might have been saying, I don't think I'm God. Some people might think I'm God, some people might consider me God, they might treat me like God, but I'm not him. In fact, he addresses what is the disease of so many kings in history, and that is pride. David's saying, I know there is a God, and I'm not him. And maybe you're sitting here today and saying, well, Pastor Brian, I don't don't struggle with that, I don't think I'm a God. I'd have to, I think that we all, to some degree or another, We struggle with wondering if we're the God of our own lives, though. See, a lot of times we have these these sayings. It's up to me. I got it. I can handle it. I'm going to make it work. I have it under control. I'm going to do it. And see, what happens is, is this kind of thinking can quickly become a self dependent attitude. And we neglect to recognize the one who is truly in control and the one whom we should truly rely and depend on. See, David, he's a powerful man in the world. He might have even been the most powerful man in the world at that time. And yet, here he is, he has all the power. All the wealth, the authority, and the influence. And he recognizes immediately, and he says, I am not God. If you want to quiet your soul, if you want to quiet your soul so your soul is well, you have to realize that you are not in control. We are not in control, but there is one who is greater who is in control. While we're on that subject, I just real quickly want to address something that I believe is plaguing this generation and this culture. And it's this idea of reckless ambition. And maybe you're like, well, what does that mean? And I think, you ever hear these things? Oh, just be who you want to be. You can do it if you put your mind to it. You can do anything. Just do it. Set your heart on something and do it and you can make it happen. I think at times that this is plaguing this generation, this sense of reckless ambition, because my Bible doesn't tell me I can do anything I want to do, but it does tell me that I can be who God created me to be, who God called me to be. See, this reckless ambition, it can cause anxiety and angst. It can stir up our internal side, and it can cause us to be struggling, and it causes it to be all up and tied in knots as we're trying to strive for something we were never meant to strive for. We need to let go of these things. Ambition can lead to comparison, which leads to competition, which is causing us to be unstable, constantly looking to our left and to our right, behind our shoulders, wondering who's coming where. And our, I'm told my Bible tells me to keep my eyes fixated on him and him alone. I am not God of my life. We need to yield control of our lives. See, there's a peace that comes when you truly recognize that I need to let go of my life and give it to him. I need to let go of control of all my dreams, of all my aspirations, of all my goals, my ambitions, my desires, my life. And let him have control if you want to quiet your soul, if you want your soul to be well, you need to realize that you are not in control. David continues in verse 1. He says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I think what David was saying here was that he was willing to say at times, I don't know. I remember as a child, I would ask my father questions, and, and I would ask him, Dad, can you explain to me how God always was and always is? That's a fair question as a child. I'd venture to say it's a fair question now to try to understand it. And I remember I would ask my dad questions like this. Dad, can you explain... This, or can you explain this? Can you explain this attribute of God? Can you explain to me how God can do this? How Jesus is this? And, and there would be times where my dad would go through and he would open up the scripture. And I'm very thankful for that. And he would show me and he'd walk me through the scripture and say, well, well, son, here's this and here's that. And I'm thankful for a father and a mother who raised me in a godly manner. But there are also times, though, where would say, well, well, son, that's something for you to put in your list of things to ask God when you get to heaven. And I used to, it drove me crazy. And I'm like, well, why can't he tell me now? Because I always thought he was holding out on me. I thought always thought like he was holding some secret for me. And that when I reached a certain age, he finally be like, hey, do you remember that time you asked me that? Well, I just want you to wait, but I'm going to share it with you now. But no, I think what he was really saying is, son, I don't know. And that's okay. Because there is one who does know. See, Isaiah 55 tells us this. He says, my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, there are things in this life that are beyond our understanding and our comprehension, and even though we might want to know it all, I don't believe we should know it all. Just because we can know it all doesn't mean we should know it all, and I would venture to say that we can't comprehend or understand it all, and it goes beyond us. Things beyond our limited thinking. And so here's David. He, has, he is the king. He has unlimited resources. He can tell one of his servants, listen, I need you to go find this out for me. I need you to go find that out for me. I need you to go take care of this. Grab me that information. And in this moment, he is saying, there are things that I don't need to know. There are things that are beyond my understanding and that I don't need to know them. In fact, the one time that David goes and gathers information that he shouldn't have, causes it to wreak and cause havoc in his life for the rest of his lifetime. And I'm talking about Bathsheba. If you're familiar, he asks, "Find find me the information about that woman. And we know where that goes down in his life. He's saying, though, I can't know it all, and I can't handle it all. Today we have these lovely things right here, these lovely devices here. We can have information, anything and everything at our fingerprints. At any moment, I could ask my phone to Google or Wikipedia this or that fact. We can find out about clouds and thunderstorms and all these things. That's the day and age we live in. We live in an age where information is at our fingerprints print. It's right at our fingers touch. At any moment, we can recall any information, any fact. We can find out what's going on in Croatia. We can find out what's going on in Russia. We can find out what's going on in Africa. We can find out what is taking place here or there or anywhere. But I think that we are drowning ourselves with information that is beyond ourselves. I think we are wor- we are causing ourselves to worry. We are causing ourselves to be inundated. We are causing ourselves to be burdened with information that we don't need to be burdened or bothered with. See, if we occupy ourselves with so much stuff that we shouldn't even have to bother ourselves with, we have a tendency to blind ourselves to miss out on the things that we should know and the things that we need to understand like gossip we love a good gossip story oh did you hear this or did you hear about that did you hear what that person did are those things that we need to know about or things that we should just walk away and say I cannot bother myself with these things maybe you're saying but, but pastor I need to know see if I don't know then no you don't need to know You just need to know the one who does know it all. We just need to know the one who does know it all. The one who can handle it all. The one who can process it all. The one who can take care of it all. The one who has it in his his control. The one who has it in his hands. Stop burdening yourself. Stop burdening down your life with trying to know everything. Stop trying to burn yourself that with things that are beyond yourself. And let's spend our time trusting in the one who is in control. The one who does know it all. And the one who can do something about it. Verse 2, he says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. I have calmed And quiet it, my soul. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Calming and quieting our soul so our soul is well. And before we we get to quiet it, my soul, I I like what he says here. He says, I have calmed. And that word stuck out to me. It's like, okay, well, we know quiet. But what does he mean by calm? And if you look at the Hebrew, the word calm actually translates to level off. And so what what David is saying here, he says, but I have leveled and quieted my soul. I have leveled off my soul. I have made it even. I think that what David is saying here is that at times my soul within me would fluctuate. The levels would fluctuate. Internally, I was not stable. Internally, it would go from high to low, low to high. I think many times we allow people's opinions People's perceptions, people's words to cause our soul. The calls within us to fluctuate up and down and down and up. Oh, you did so fantastic, great job, and we allow our soul to go up. But then someone says, hey, you did a horrendous job. What are you doing? And all of a sudden, you're going down. And I believe that we have a cu- country and a culture and a generation of peoples whose souls within them are fluctuating based on people's opinions, perceptions, and words. And I have the question, do I live from who I I really am who God created me to be? Or am I living how people perceive me and how they want me to to live? We need to live our lives by focusing on who God created us to be and not what others perceives us. This is plaguing our generation, this, this, this coming generation. There's this idea of constantly trying to live up to the standard of others and, and I don't know if you're, if you're all caught up, some of you are, uh, if, you, if you're a student and, and you have a parent, it's probably uncool if they have this, but Instagram, it's the new hit thing, and it's, it's not really new, but it's the hit thing right now. It's past Facebook, it's past Twitter, but it's Instagram. I'm sure next week it'll be something else and I'll be irrelevant again, but Instagram generation, this is what's going on and the idea of instagram it's all pictures it's all it is is pictures and so what you do is you you go and you take a picture and you can you put it up there and then you can scroll through all your friends and the pictures they put all right and then what happens is is that when you see something you like you acknowledge that you like it and you go oh i like that and you just hit a little button and it, and it pops up and says so and so like that picture i have an instagram and and i i like to go through and look at the pictures but you know what's plaguing our generation is that I like what I want to like. And so what happens is is that I'm going to go on my Instagram, I'm going to look and see what people are putting, and I'm going to let them know what I like. And if I don't like it, I'm not going to like it. And so when I put a picture up, when I take a picture, I need to make sure it looks cool. I need to make sure it's going to appeal to other people. It might not be who I am. It might not be my personality. It might not be who God created me to be. But if I'm going to put it up there, I need to get the approval of others. And so when I put a picture up, I'm going to put up something not of who I am, but who I want people to think I am. And so they put these pictures up, and, and they'll sit there on their phone, and they'll go, and, and I see it all the time. They'll, they'll go and look down, and they'll put a picture up, and they'll look around. They'll put the phone down for a moment. Then they'll grab their phone, and they'll look, oh, did anyone like my picture? You know? Oh, nope, Okay. Uh, wait. Oh, oh, he liked my picture. Ooh, yes. Like that's a, that's a good person. Now everyone's gonna like my picture. But that's the day and age we live in. We're trying to grab other people's attention. We're trying to live up to a life of how others perceive us, what their words think of us, but not of the one who created us. And David was saying this: People may think I'm this. People may think I'm that. People may have this expectation of me, and they might think um, I'm supposed to be this, but guess what? I'm just a shepherd boy. I'm just a a shepherd boy, and I'm going to dance, and I'm going to worship my Savior. I know this is who God has made me to be. David's saying, I'm going to level my soul by trusting who God has made me to be. You can't live your life on a level that you really aren't on. You can't maintain a soul that is healthy by living on a level that your life is not really at. It might be a level here or there, but God has called you to be here. And you're not going to maintain a healthy soul if you're trying to live up to this standard or you're letting people bring you down to that standard when God's standard has you right here. You can't live a healthy life. Your soul cannot be healthy if you're living on a level you really aren't on. He says, but I've calmed and quieted my soul. And then verse 2 in the second half, he says this, like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And it's important to recognize that this child is weaned. See, an unweaned child is constantly hungry, it's constantly looking for its mother, it's constantly looking for food, it's, it's unsettled, it's constantly stirring. There's no order to when a child eats, it just, when it's hungry, it lets you know. It's never settled though, there's no structure to it. And so you can be out and about, but if your child is hungry, you gotta feed your child. But what David's saying here is, listen, not like an unweaned child that's Sporadic. There's no structure. He's saying like a weaned child in his mother's arm. Like a weaned child with his mother's and And a weaned child, what's important to understand is that a weaned child is content just being with its mother. A weaned child that is content being with its mom. There's no other desire. There's no other extra thing that it's looking for. It's just content. And so David is saying, I will calm and quiet my soul just as a weaned child is content in the arms of his mother. And see, a calm and quiet soul, you're saying, I am content just with who God is. Everything pales in comparison With you. Everything pales in comparison with you. That I can sit in the presence of God. And that is where my soul finds rest. That is where my soul is calm and quieted in the presence of my Savior, in the presence of my God, in the presence of the one who created me to be. Can I tell you this, church? That if we want to have a healthy soul, if we want our soul to be well, we need to spend time in the presence of God. If you're not spending time in the presence of God, if you're not content in the presence of God, your soul will never be settled. Your soul will be a constant unrest. But when you're content, and you trust who God is, and you can sit, in the presence of God, you can quiet and calm your soul. I like if Will can come up and he can start praying or playing. Verse three tells us So Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And I love that. Oh Israel. Hope in the Lord. Church, can I tell you today? Hope in the Lord. Hope is the expectation of what you know is to come. And I believe that if we are a people that can quiet and calm our soul, then better days are ahead of us. It doesn't matter the circumstances, the situation. It doesn't matter what life tells you. God is in control. And when we calm and quiet our soul, the best is yet to come. And I want to close with this story that we find in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, I believe it's the end, verse 36, 38, something like that. And it tells us a story about Jesus. And he goes to this home of, of this family, and, and you know them Mary and Martha. And the story as Jesus goes, and, and he goes to their house, and I'm sure they had a meal together. I'm sure they, they talked and they spent time. And for the longest time, I couldn't really relate to the story because I never really hosted people at my house that I was hosting. Like, I've, I've had my parents host people, and I've been there, but I've never actually hosted. And then several years ago, I hosted some people over my house um, that I lived at. And it was in Florida, so if you weren't invited, that's why, okay? Just so that way we know. But I remember I was hosting my friends, and and the one thing I wanted to do is I wanted to have a good impression. I wanted to make sure they had a good time. I wanted to make sure that everything was perfect. And I was working all day, all night. I was stressed out. Oh, my goodness, the food. I got to get this in the oven. I got to take care of this. I got to make sure that this is clean. I got to take care of this and that. And what happens if they're late? And then what happens if we run out of this? What am I going to do? What's it going to look like? And I, these are just college friends. They could care less. Martha and Mary are hosting Jesus in the flesh. I think you want to leave a good impression with him. And so it tells us that they come, and Jesus comes. They're eating the meal. And it tells us that Martha was distracted. She was doing the work. She was making sure everything was taken care of, making sure that this was nice. And, and in the kitchen, out of the kitchen, cleaning this up, cleaning that up, she was playing the perfect host. And it tells us, where was Mary, though? She was at the feet of Jesus. Now, now when I was a child, and we had to do chores at my house, My sister and I, we would have to split the responsibilities. And I don't know about you, but whenever one of us was able to get out of doing the chores, we made it known to mom and dad. Dad, mom, Heather's not doing this. Heather's not doing that. And they come down and they say, all right, where's she at? And they go find her. And my sister would say, hey, mom, hey, dad, Brian, he's playing with his toys. He's not really cleaning up. He's not really dusting. I don't like dusting, by the way. You just have to do it over again later. But Martha does what probably any of us would do. And it says that Martha was distracted. And it's important to recognize she was distracted. And it says this. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. She would have done what any of us would have done. Martha was concerned about catering to Jesus. She wanted to make sure the experience was worthwhile, that it was nice, everything was good, everything was well. I love what Jesus said. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And here's what I want you to get here, is that Jesus didn't say, Martha, Martha, the meal was so-so. Jesus didn't say, Martha, Martha, your house, it's okay, it was a little dirty. Martha, I noticed that that closet has all the junk in it that you put in that you don't want anyone to open up. But what he says is, he says, you are anxious and troubled About many things. I believe that Jesus was speaking to Martha's internal condition. He was speaking to her soul that was within her. On the outside, everything looked good. On the outside, it was a beautiful dinner. On the outside, it was a great meal. On the outside, it was a great time. But internally, she was anxious and she was troubled. And Jesus recognized that and said, You are anxious and troubled about many things. Her soul was unsettled. Her soul was restless. She allowed the circumstances, the situation on the outside to dictate her inside. And Jesus says this. He says, but one thing is necessary, Mary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. And where was Mary at this time? She was sitting At the feet of Jesus. She was sitting at the feet, spending time with her Savior. And can I tell you today, church, that we need to spend time in the presence of our Savior. We need to spend time in the presence with God Almighty. We need to spend time listening and learning and gleaning from and trusting and depending and relying at the feet of Jesus. See, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter the circumstances in life might be difficult. Life is tough. I'll be the first to admit it. Life is not easy at times. Life gets hard. Life happens. It is busy. It is loud. It is rushed. It is hurried. It is so fast-paced. I can tell you, church, though, if we don't take time to quiet and calm our soul in such a fast-paced world, we are never going to make it. And we can do it, though. If we let go, And recognize who is in control. If we trust in God. If we don't busy ourselves with things that are beyond us. But trust in the one who is in control. The one who does know. If we can level our lives off. We don't busy or concern ourselves with the thoughts and perceptions of others. But we trust only how God perceives us. How God has called us to be. And then we spend time in the presence of God and I love this part though it says that Mary was listening do we spend enough time listening to God I know we spend time with God but do we spend enough time listening to God I like to talk I'm sure you do as well too and I find myself, and so many times, I'm just, when I go away to pray with God, it's always me talking, me talking. God, I need this. God, can you take care of this? God already knows it, and it's important to make our request known to God. But can we just spend some time at the feet of Jesus and listen? Spend time in the presence of your Savior and let Him speak into your life, let Him move within your life. For when you're with him, your soul is well. How much growth, how much healing, how much peace can we bring to our souls if we just rest in the presence of our Savior? Proverbs says, a man's spirit will endure sickness. A man's spirit will endure. But a crushed spirit who can bear? If we're going to make it in this world, we need to have a soul that is well. And our souls are only well when we put our trust in Him. When we let Him speak into our lives and we spend time in the presence of God. I want to pray with you tonight. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord. And God, we ask that, Lord, you, would, you know each and every person in this room. You know where each person is going through. You know their circumstances. You know their situation, God. And Heavenly Father, we just ask that, God, you would just bring peace. That you would help them to calm and quiet their soul. God, it doesn't matter the circumstances or the situations. You are in control. You know all things, God. You have made a way where there seems to be no other way, God. And so, God, let us not be a people with restless souls, with souls that are burdened down, that are weary, that are inundated with this and that, with the busyness of life, but let us be a people who you have called us to be, who you have created us to be. And that our souls would be well with you, God. That our souls would find peace with you. That our souls would find rest with you. That our souls would find hope in you. For greater things are to come. For you are in control. And be with us this week, God, as we go. That we would be a people who would calm and quiet our souls this week. And that we would go forth and make you known in a world that so desperately needs you for your glory and your honor forever. For we believe the best is yet to come. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen and amen. Be blessed. Have a great week. Enjoy the rest of Memorial Day weekend. We have baptisms tonight, so we hope to see you here tonight. God bless.